0: Well, hey, thank you again for being here Uh, and everybody watching online. Again, I just want to say glad you're here. We are starting a new series today through the book of James. I'm excited about teaching that. Uh, But I want to tell you about uh, something we're going to start doing a little bit different. Uh, We're going to start... Adding a few different elements to the service, just some ideas that we've had uh, prayerfully over the summer. But one of the things that's going to be happening in our services, and you have a, a worship guide when you came in, there's an order of, of the service flow there for you. Uh, but one of the things that's going to be happening uh, starting today and then moving forward is before the sermon, uh, someone, not myself, I'm going to do it today just because I'm kind of getting us started, but someone before the sermon, uh, one of you, one of our uh, members of our church, some of our family, are going to come and they're going to read uh, the text from the Bible that we're going to be focusing on that day. And we're doing this for a couple of reasons. Uh, One of them is that as I was reading this summer uh, through some of the New Testament, I was coming over and over again to passages about the importance of reading the scriptures out loud together. And we do read the Bible, obviously, we teach from the Bible, but I think there's just an added... um, spiritual element to not like somebody besides the preacher reading the scriptures and then us experiencing that uh, together. And then another reason just selfishly is because I want to hear you guys read the Bible. This is a supernatural book. And when we open it and read it, something supernatural happens. So I'm going to do it today, but then I'm going to add one more wrinkle. And for those of you who've been around here a really long time, this is going to be like, whoa, and I don't want to give the Catholics PTSD. Okay. But um, I'm going to ask you to stand while we're reading God's word. So will you stand up with me? I know you just sat down, but future weeks going forward just as a way to honor and uh, God's word, because this is not just any book. This is the word of God. This is a way to honor God's word. We're going to stand. So in future weeks, we'll take some time to say hey to everybody and fist bump and hug. And then somebody not myself will come up here and they'll open their Bible and they'll read and they'll ask you to stand. And that's why they're asking you to stand is because we are doing something supernatural in this moment. We're experiencing something spiritual in this moment, reading God's word. So today we're starting uh, our series through James by focusing on the very beginning, James chapter one, verses one through four. I'm going to read it today, and then we will start having other people read it. Here's what it says. James chapter one, verse one. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Verse two. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You can be seated. Thanks for doing that for me. We are are going to take i don 't know how long of several weeks to go through the book of James uh, and this book, as opposed to Galatians that we spent about two months going through in the spring uh, is is very different, dramatically different, I would say. Uh, Christians, historians, theologians over history have debated the book of James for a lot of reasons because it's so unlike all of the other New Testament uh, books and letters that you read. If you've ever read through the Bible, followed a reading plan, and you've gotten to the book of James, you've probably really liked it because it is the most practical Book in the New Testament. It's not filled with theology. It's not filled with a lot of doctrine. It is filled with very practical how to live the Christian life. Very similar to Proverbs. This is one of the uh, literary styles in the Bible. We call this wisdom literature. So if you've ever read the Book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, and it's like just these like fortune cookies for God. You know, it's just these one-liners uh, for God. James reads a little bit like that. It's what we call. Wisdom literature so wisdom literature is not so much uh, defining what you believe as much as defining how you believe how what you believe affects the life that that you that you live and so this is just a five chapter book but it covers As many as 11 topics. Some people would say more than that. I think there are 11 large themes. I don't know if we'll be able to get to all of them, but it covers 11 themes. And I want to tell you what we're going to be talking about over these next uh, few weeks as we go through this series. But James, as you read through it, kind of hot topic, hot potato jumps around to different topics like enduring difficult times in life, we're going to talk about that today, facing temptation, responding to adversity, confronting our biases, being a Christian at work, controlling what you say, resolving conflict, guarding against greed, having patience, living with sickness and physical pain, receiving correction, these are these are all things that James is going to, to get to in this letter, which is why most Christians love this book because you open it and you can see how your faith works in the things that you're going through in your life. The other things that makes James uh, unique is that most people believe, most historians believe that it was the, the, the first, maybe probably the first Letter written that was widely distributed among Christians after the life of Jesus, before the Gospels and before the letters of the Apostle Paul. And so literally, you've got. 30 years or so of people who have put their faith in Jesus, and now they have this how-to pocket guide for the Christian life. And you can imagine they had to be so excited. James has written this, and they can now say, this is how a Christian handles conflict. This is how a Christian receives correction. This is how a Christian endures trials. And so this is the first uh, potentially letter that is being passed around. But I'm gonna tell you what I believe is the most fascinating part of the book of James and why I'm really excited to, to talk about it is the author. It's who wrote the book. Now there are, um, three maybe four James in the New Testament there are uh one of the 12 disciples maybe if you're familiar with Peter James and John when Jesus was doing his ministry on earth that's not the James who wrote this book it says in the first verse this letter is from James a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ now what's interesting about that one little one little verse is the incredible backstory doesn't sound like much the incredible backstory from the author of this book saying that he is a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The person who wrote this book, this James, was the little brother of Jesus little brother of Jesus. And maybe you hear that and you say, well, that's not that big of a deal. I would imagine that a brother of Jesus would have very interesting spiritual things to say. But what's interesting is that while Jesus was alive, we know for certain that James was not a believer, that Jesus's little brother did not believe that he was God didn't believe he was the Messiah, didn't believe that he was the Savior. We know this, you can go read it in John 7 if you want to. But his brothers were mocking him and John clearly says his brothers did not believe in him. They thought he was crazy. They thought he had lost his mind, which is hard to believe in one sense because you're with, living with the Son of God. But in another sense, it's not that hard to believe because isn't it true, like the hardest people to impress are your siblings, Right? It's like, yeah, Jesus never made a mistake, but when you're his little brother, that's not miraculous, it's annoying. You know what I mean? And so for whatever reason, James and and the other brothers of Jesus, they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So what happened between James, the brother of Jesus, not believing that he actually was the Messiah to him not only believing in Jesus, but becoming one of the three most important church leaders in uh, the early church and writing the first letter for Christians that was passed around. What happened? Well, we don't have to guess. We don't have to guess because the Bible clearly tells us what happened. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to read it to you. If you want, There's a Bible actually in front of you if you want to find the scriptures with me. Uh, you can read through that together. But in 1 Corinthians 15... Paul is describing what happened after Jesus was resurrected. And in verse 3 of 15, he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. He's given us a little bit of the gospel here. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. And on the third day, just as the scriptures said, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died, which this is not the point of the sermon, but let me just say this. If you are a Christian, you believe this. That Christianity is not made up because one guy had a dream one night or, or because, you know, it's this folklore that's passed down. Christianity's origins are the fact that Jesus, who claimed to be God, was crucified. He rose from the dead, and real, actual people, human beings, saw him resurrected and were able to say, I saw the resurrected Jesus. And so this is what was happening. But look at the next verse, after 500 followers, most of whom have left. Then verse seven, he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. So I want you to get this. Jesus is resurrected. He's strategically making his appearances to the people who need to be seen. And he specifically shows up to his little brother who didn't believe in him. I don't know what they said. It had to be an interesting meeting. I don't know if there was any, I told you so's in there. Uh, But we know that that Jesus shows up to James and this is a one-on-one interaction between Jesus, the son of God and his little brother who for 33 years thought he was insane. And now here he was dead and he is alive. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because the experience that James had is the exact same experience that every person who claims to be a Christian must have. You have to. There's no other way to become a Christian or to become a believer unless you see Jesus as he is. We could call this a revelation of Jesus. We could call this, um, you know, the Holy Spirit opening our heart. The Bible has different phrases for this, that the eyes of our heart would be open. James sees Jesus resurrected. Jesus, in another time, talking to followers and disciples said, if, if I be lifted up, I draw them into me. And he said, if you see me resurrected, I'm paraphrasing, he says, then you'll understand who I am. And so what happens to James is what has to happen to every person who claims to be a Christian. You have to go from knowing what Jesus did, what he taught. James knew what he taught. James saw his miracles, even though he was cynical about how they were being performed. He actually thought he was demon possessed. You have to go from not believing to seeing the resurrected Jesus as the son of God. And that is how you become a Believer. Now you and I can't literally see. Jesus, we, we, we are not able to, to actually you know, touch his nail-scarred hands as the disciples were able to do that. We can't see him, but that doesn't exempt us from the requirement of having to see him because the Bible says that the experience of you becoming a non-believer to a believer, a non-follower to a follower, is that the Holy Spirit uh, opens the eyes of your heart. what does that mean? I want to read you uh, one more passage from Acts chapter 26, and then we're going to get to the main crux of what James was trying to say. But I want to read to you, this is Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and this is how Luke described it in Acts chapter 26, the experience that James experienced, and that you hopefully have experienced, and I have experienced. Acts chapter 26, starting with verse 16, here's what he says. He says, um, this is, I'm sorry, this is is the, the explanation of what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. So Luke is telling us about the moment that Paul saw Jesus the same way James saw Jesus, all right? Sorry, bad explanation, but this is what it says. Jesus says to Paul, now, and the Lord replied, now get to your feet for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. And I want you to tell people that you have, what's that word? seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles, verse 18, to open their eyes. Now, Jesus obviously is not saying to Paul, I want you to walk up to people and take your thumb and I want you to lift their eyelid. Right. Of course, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to proclaim the truth about who I am and I want you to open their eyes of their heart so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Becoming a Christian is not just about saying a prayer or raising your hand or coming to church something else is happening, something supernatural. Our eyes are open. The eyes of our heart are opened. It's a supernatural experience of seeing Jesus for who he is. This is what happened to James. A skeptic, cynical person who thought that the son of God was demon possessed became a passionate, ardent follower of Jesus, a leader in the church and an author of one of the first letters used by Christians to live the Christian life. Because when you see Jesus, you are dramatically changed. Now, maybe not all at one time, not all at one time, let me clarify, but you're not just rehabilitated, you are brand new. It's a rebirth this is what happened to James. This is what happened to Paul. And I want you to look at the words that Acts 26, that they were using. What, when, when God told Paul to go and tell people who he is, look at what he says happens to them when their eyes are open, just a couple of phrases. He says, moving from darkness to light, turning from the power of Satan to the power of God. That sounds intense. To receive forgiveness for our sins be given a place among God's people and be set apart because of our faith in Jesus. Have you had that experience? Has that happened to you? Not, are you trying to live a good life? Not, are you trying to be a good dad? Are you trying to be a good mom? Are you trying to be a good citizen? Are you really helpful at church because they need volunteers and you love helping? None of those things, they're, they're, those are great ambitions, but that's not what makes someone a Christian. It's not someone what makes someone a follower of Jesus. What makes someone a believer and a follower of Jesus is seeing who Jesus is. And for a lot of people, it, if you're raised around church, it's this moment where you're like, oh, I've heard a thousand sermons. I've heard a hundred sermons. I've seen a, a hundred hope stories. Uh, Jason talks about this all the time. Again, Jason, you're gonna talk about this again. And then something happens to the power of the Holy Spirit where you go, I knew intellectually, historically who Jesus was, but now I see him for who he is. He is a resurrected savior. Have you had the experience of moving from darkness into light do you feel as if, as, as, as intense as it sounds, do you feel as if you have turned from the power of Satan to the power of God? Do you really believe that you've received forgiveness for your sins, that, that you have been, been placed in God's family with God's people? Do you really feel as if you have been set apart because of what? Faith. Faith in Jesus. This is what God, or this is what Jesus told Paul would happen to people when their eyes are open. So, my question is have you had that experience? And if you haven't, it doesn't make you a a bad person any more than all of us are. It just means that you may be trying to grow in Christ before you've actually been born in Christ. It may mean that you're trying to be a a good Christian before you've actually become a Christian because your faith is still in yourself and it's not in who Jesus is. I want to read you, um, one of my favorite examples of this, this summer, uh, you're going to hear me say this a lot, but I was doing some reading and, uh, And I read the conversion story of John Wesley. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but obviously John Wesley is one of the great, um, I wouldn't call him a reformer, he's one of the great spiritual voices and leaders of movements uh, in Christian history. And he was an Anglican priest, and listen, he was already a self-proclaimed Christian, But in his own words, he would say that he was lacking in faith and growing in misery. That's the way that he would say it. A priest who was a Christian who was lacking faith and growing in misery, maybe you can relate to that. So on the evening of May 24th, 1738, he unwillingly attended a church service and he heard someone from the stage read from the reformer Martin Luther's preface to Romans. So Martin Luther, the reformer had a commentary to the book of Romans they were going through and they were just reading the preface of that commentary. And when John Wesley heard the words from the preface of this book of Romans, he says something deep and dramatic took place. And I wanna read to you how he describes it when his eyes were opened. John Wesley says, while he was describing the change, which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Have you had that experience? Have you had that moment when your heart feels strangely warmed? Or you see the world through completely different set of eyes. You don't feel like someone struggling to be a better person. You feel like a new person living a new life. Well, the only way the book of James will make any sense is if you've had that experience. Now there's great practical advice in here. And if you're not a believer, there are some things James says that if you practice them, uh, your life would you know, be l- less trouble less anxious, but James is writing to people who have seen Jesus resurrected. Look at what he says. He says, I'm writing to Jewish believers. And then verse two, he says, dear brothers and sisters. He's writing to people who are brothers and sisters in the family of God. He's not writing to all men and women. He's not writing to all boys and girls. He's not giving how-to life practice advice. He is writing a letter to people who belong to the family of God. And in order to belong to the family of God, you have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And listen, if you're here today and you have been coming for a while and you're not a believer, you are so welcome here and you are loved here and we we want to get to know you, and we wanna spend time with you, but if you have not put your faith in Jesus, there is a difference, even though you're here, there is a difference between you being here and someone else being here who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ belong to the family of God. Those who have not belong to a church when our faith is in Jesus, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, which means black, white, young, old, poor, rich. We have more in common if we have faith in Jesus than we do with our neighbor or our mom or our brother or sister. Matter of fact, if there is someone with faith living in a hut in Africa, you have more in common with them as a brother and sister than you do with your next door neighbor who looks like you and lives like you and smells like you and... Because you both belong to the family of God. How do you get in the family of God? You see Jesus. The Holy Spirit opens the eyes of your heart. And so James sits down to write this letter and he says, I, I'm writing to, the pe- everybody can read it, but the people who I'm writing it for are the people who have seen Jesus resurrected and who belong to the family of God. And over the next five chapters, James would say, I'm going to tell you what people who have seen Jesus resurrected and who belong to the family of God live their lives like. I'm gonna tell you what the qualities and the characteristics of people who believe Jesus is resurrected and people who belong to the family of God look like. And the first example, the first way that he wants to talk about this is enduring trouble and trials. Now this makes all the sense in the world because if you are a Jewish Christian in about 60 AD, every day of your life is a trouble or trial. You're under Roman oppression, The Jews are mad at you because you follow Jesus. The Romans are mad at you because you're Jewish. You're overtaxed. You're, You're probably beaten a little bit. You're oppressed. And so you have this faith in Christ that makes you a heavenly creature, but on earth you are constantly facing troubles and trials. And so James talks about what is probably the most pressing issue for every brother and sister in the family of Christ that says, how does your faith in the resurrected Jesus affect what you deal with every day from the Jewish people who hate you and the Roman people who hate you? Let's talk about that. He says, dear brothers and sisters, When troubles of any kind come your way, I got that circled in my Bible, any kind. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now he was writing to them because this is the most pressing issue. And I I don't know that it's our most pressing issue, but it could be. But even at a deeper level for us, the first topic being how to endure trouble and trials is fitting because nothing reveals the level of our faith like pain, like pain. Now uh, the word troubles here. So you see in verse, um, uh, verse two there, he says, when troubles of any kind, a lot of translations say trials, uh, that word, that Greek word is perosmos, perosmos. And that exact same word in verse 12, when he says, God, God blesses those who patiently endure testing, that testing down there, and temptation is the same word perosmos. So in Greek, it made a little more sense. In English, not. it seems like something very different, but, but James is describing trials and troubles in both verses 2 and verse 12. We're going to get to verse 12, uh, not today, but but later. But he's describing two different kinds of trouble. So today he's talking about the kind of trouble and trials that are outward, that happen to us. He's talking about circumstances and um, he, he's, he's talking about um, uh, pain and, and feeling and facing things that Uh, our troubles and suffering externally. And then in verse 12, when he talks about enduring testing and temptation, he's talking about inner trials. Now we know that outer trials produce inner trials. We know that when we go through something, we feel something. And we're gonna talk about that when we get to verse 12. But specifically what James is talking about to the people and to us today is, what is happening in your faith? How does it show itself? How does your faith work when you come up against outward trouble, pain, discomfort in, in your life. And there are a lot of things that we could say, there, there's many, many points we could take out, but what I wanna do is I just wanna focus on one, one takeaway from these verses, and, and th- this is the takeaway, that for a believer, trouble is valuable. That for a believer, someone who has seen Jesus, belongs to the family of God, if that's you, then, then trouble is valuable. Let me show you. Notice the first thing James says, when you face trouble. What's the very next word after he says, when troubles of any kind come your way? The very next word is, consider The first thing that a believer should do when they are facing trouble, James says, is consider. In other words, Christians think about trouble differently. When you face trouble, consider. You you, you think about it differently. Your perspective is, is different. And so James says, if you will consider what is happening when you are facing discomfort, pain, tragedy, circumstances, suffering, hurting. If you will consider what is happening, there is an opportunity. That's what he says. There's an opportunity for joy. Now, this is very important and I wanna make sure you hear what I'm saying here. James is not saying when you face trials, be happy, not sad. I think sometimes unfortunately and 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 accidentally in the christian faith especially in in churches like ours uh we can accidentally kind of project this idea that strong christians uh are never weak you know and and uh, we don't mourn it's our responsibility to get it together it's our responsibility to you know move on and so you know uh, you can bring it up maybe once, maybe twice at small group, you know, growth group, you know, we'll pray about it. But I mean, we've been praying about this for like eight weeks. Can we get over it? You know, this sense that like, I'm, I'm a bad Christian. I'm weak. I lack faith because I am emotionally experiencing grief and, and sadness and anger and hurt. And that's, James is not saying when you face trouble, be in denial. He's not saying when you face trouble, get over it. No, it's very important that you feel your feelings. For most of us, that's the real F word, feelings. (laughs) Feel your feelings. It's interesting, actually Andrea brought this up to me and it was brilliant because we were talking about feeling our feelings and she said, you know, Jesus, one of the ways Jesus was described was a man of sorrows. We don't think of Jesus that way. But this was a description of Jesus, that he was a man of sorrows. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lament, Lamentations. There are more psalms of sadness and grief than there are of any other kind of psalm. There was a prophet known as the Weeping prophet. Can you imagine if I got up here every week to preach and I just couldn't hardly do it because I'm just crying the whole time? God, would be like, get it together. (laughs) But none of those things are wrong. And none of those things indicate some kind of lack of faith. What's happening is your human body and your human psyche are experiencing feelings, feelings. So I just wanna make sure to clarify that James is not saying, when you face something terrible in life, fake it till you make it. Come on, put that smile on. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, feel what you feel. It's very healthy to feel what you feel. But if you can, with God's help, consider what's happening, you will probably see, you should see an opportunity in what's happening and the opportunity is for joy. Now, how, how is that? How is there an opportunity for joy? Well, he tells us in verse four, he says, let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. This is a great verse because there is potential that we could be perfect and complete needing nothing. But this also means that we are, Imperfect and incomplete at this moment. That's really important that you grasp that or you won't be able to see the opportunity in trouble. That, there, that right now, all of us in this room are emotionally and physically and mentally and spiritually incomplete and imperfect to the type of soul that God is wanting to craft inside of you. God is wanting to spiritually form you to be able to love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. But you cannot do that at this moment because you are imperfect and incomplete in some facet or many facets of your faith. And so James says, the way that you are spiritually formed by God and the holes are filled and the cracks are filled and the foundation is repaired, the, way that you, the only way that you would ever be able to truly love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to be perfect and complete in your faith is to endure trouble, trials, and pain. It's the only way for your faith to be complete. Now, I want to give you an example of a way, a a really small way that this played out in my life um, this past week or this past weekend, actually. Uh, I, knowing that we were not having service, I decided to take on a home project that I'd been neglecting for... I don't know, the last 20 years and uh, really about five years. And in our backyard, we bought, you know, there was a previous owner for the house and this person decided to put the largest, most disgusting bushes all in the backyard. And we wanted to take them out. Um, And we got quotes from, you know, different people and things like that. But, you know, like everything, I was like, how hard can it be? (laughs) <laughs> you know, and so I decided that I was going to take on the project of removing these six bush slash trees, uh, from the backyard. I actually have a picture just cause I wanted to show off me with, uh, with my chainsaw. Yeah. I borrowed that from a friend. I don't own a chainsaw, but, and the hat works too. That's, that's how you know you're good at landscaping is the hat. But, um, but now go to the next picture. The, the, it, it took me a while, but I, I got, that was the first one that I got out right there. Um, it took me several hours. But here's why I'm telling you this story because I knew I, I had already researched for the sermon and I had already been thinking about the message and I was already thinking about how enduring discomfort and suffering and pain produces something in the spiritual formation of our souls that could not be produced otherwise. And so I knew that morning that I was going to hate this. And I know, because I know me at 37, I will come up with a valid reason to quit at the first sign of resistance. Oh, it's not working, sorry. I don't have the right tools, sorry. And so I'm not telling you this to brag on me in any way. I'm just telling you how this truth has played out in my life recognizing that one of the imperfect and incomplete uh, areas of faith in my life is coming up against discomfort. And so before I started that morning, I, I just took a few moments and I prayed to God, true story, and I, in essence, prayed this prayer, God, today I am going to do something I hate to do, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be uncomfortable, and I'm going to hate it, and my body's going to hurt, and all of those things. But God, I'm asking you today to give me the strength to not quit, not because the bushes come out, but because you are forming something in me that is lacking, that's Perseverance. Now, that may sound super spiritual to you. It sounds incredibly ordinary to me because the truth of the Bible doesn't just affect this spiritual realm. We are in the spiritual realm when we're living our lives. And so as I am pulling out bushes, I am also at the same time becoming the person that God is trying to form me into being. Now, it was as bad as I thought it would be, but I did not quit. And here's why. Because I knew that it had a purpose. Now, I wish I could say that pleasing my life was enough purpose, but you know what? It wasn't. It was that I had asked God to use this experience to form me. I had asked God to use this experience to shape and form and fill the incomplete, imperfect areas of my faith that were keeping me from loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so every time I found myself wanting to quit and wanting to throw in the towel and want to give in, my thought was... I hate this, but God, you're forming me. I hate this, but God, you're forming me. This is awful, but you're forming me. Now listen, I'm not comparing me pulling out roots to you going through cancer or losing a a parent or or losing someone to COVID or dealing with a special needs child, or I'm not comparing that to, to what you're going through. But what I am saying is that when you consider what something could be, it does change the way that you go through it. And James says to us, if with the help of God, when we come up against the hard things in life, physically, outer life, the hard things in life, if we are able to consider as believers that this is not just a labor job, this is not just clocking in and clocking out, even though I hate it. This is not just you know helping a friend load a moving truck. This is not just a chemo treatment. This is not whatever it is. It's not just that, it is also God shaping me and forming me into the person that He wants me to be and the kind of faith that He wants me to have. He's making my faith more complete and and more perfect. He is stripping away what is keeping me from being more faithful. Nothing does this like suffering, nothing. And suffering is relative because you can suffer with a hangnail or you can suffer with an amputation. You can suffer with, you know, missing lunch or you can suffer from starvation, literally. So everybody's degree of suffering is different. But what is suffering? Suffering at its core is just what you feel when you are losing something you're convinced you can't do without. I want you to think about that. When you are experiencing suffering in your life, what you are experiencing is your brain and your body saying, we can't do without this, we have to have this. And so for a believer, we can see the value in suffering because what's happening is God is stripping away things that we swear we have to have. Shaping us and and forming us. One of my favorite quotes from Mark Batterson, you guys know I love Mark Batterson. One of my favorite quotes is he says, don't be so quick to get out of tough times that you don't get anything out of them. I love that. Now listen, I'm not talking about finding silver lining. I'm not talking about platitudes for people who are going through tough times. I'm talking about for a believer, for someone who has seen Jesus and belongs to the family of God. It's not just what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's I am becoming and being formed into someone who is more like Jesus. And listen to me, if you're here and you you are not a believer in Jesus and you don't follow Jesus, you can convince yourself and even spot ways that enduring tough times in your life has made you a stronger person, of course but only a believer can hold to the promise that something good is guaranteed to happen from something bad. We have this promise in Romans 8 that he is working all things together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. So if your faith is not in Jesus, you can hope that there will be Uh, something good come out of this but if you are a believer in Jesus no matter what you are facing there is a guarantee from God something good will come from this and maybe that outcome is something good in the short term that you are really needing or wanting and maybe it makes sense and you can put all the dots together but ultimately the greatest thing that could come from the bad thing is being formed into a person who is more like Jesus more like Jesus So, um, what we're going to do is, uh, in just a moment, we're going to take communion together, and uh, this is something else we're going to start doing. We're going to start taking communion every week at the end of the sermon, because I want you to have an opportunity uh, to really just kind of contemplate and be reflective on your soul and where you are. And again, if you feel uncomfortable taking communion, by all means, you can pass. Don't worry about it. Just, Just stay, you know, in your seat while we're doing this, but during this time, as we come to the Lord's table, as Christians have referred to it, the family of God coming to the Lord's table, we get to remember what Jesus endured in the face of pain and trial and suffering. And we know what good came from that, a relationship with God, eternal security, faith. But maybe you're here and you don't have faith in Jesus. But even as I've been talking, you have felt the Holy Spirit begin to open the eyes of your heart in some way. And maybe you're not even able to articulate it like that. But you would feel as if God is beginning to open your heart, that you know who Jesus is and you know things that Jesus did. But maybe for the first time today, you are beginning to experience Jesus as a savior as a resurrected savior. Maybe you feel as if your heart is being gently warmed or, or your, your soul has wings, as C.S. Lewis would say. If that's you, then as we are taking this communion together, maybe you just take a moment in your heart, and your mind, maybe you whisper it. Maybe you begin to start a conversation with God that says, God, I do believe in you. My faith is in you. I see you for who you are now. I'm not trusting in myself anymore. I am trusting in you. And so we're gonna do that in just a moment. You'll have a chance to take, uh, this is the modern communion set. You'll have a chance to take the, the wafer that represents the body of Christ. And you can eat that. No one's gonna instruct you. You can just do this on your own when they start singing, but you can take the bread, break it, eat that. That represents the body of Christ that was broken for everyone whose faith is in Jesus Christ. And then you can peel the lid and drink the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you and for me. But before we do that, we're gonna end with one more thing. If you'll grab your worship guide for me. On the back of your worship guide, you'll see a a prayer. And during this series throughout the book of James, we're going to try to provide you with a prayer that you can pray throughout the week. based on whatever it is that we're teaching and talking about. Obviously this week, it's about trouble. And so uh, we're gonna pray this together. And if you see it on your paper there, you'll see the last four lines are in bold. We're gonna pray those together. I'm gonna pray the first couple of paragraphs, but that last paragraph where it says, let this we're gonna pray this together. And then what I want you to do is take that worship guide with you this week, and I want you to keep it with you. And I want you to, I would love for you to pray it every day. To, to let this sink into your heart. So let's pray this together. God, I bring to you my troubles, my momentary irritations, lingering frustrations, my problems and pain. Use them to uproot in my heart any arrogance, insecurity, hypocrisy and inconsistency. Let them do their tutoring work While I rightly pray for relief and sometimes you comply, give me also the patience to endure whatever hardships lie ahead, knowing that you are pruning away the tangled growth of my sin and selfishness. Instead, graft into my heart your humility, compassion, patience, and kindness, that I might bear good fruit by your grace. Decrease my unrighteous impatience directed at circumstances and people Instead, increase my longing for your return when all creation will be liberated from every trial we now suffer. Give me also a sense of humor to wink at my weaknesses now, knowing that the greater joke is the one, is the one played upon death. Let's pray this together. Let disappointment do its work. May what I've lost free me from the entanglements of this world, which I do not need. Oh God, May the decline of my comfort incline my heart to desire your coming kingdom more. Can we pray that one more time now that you've heard it together? Let disappointment do its work. May what I've lost free me from the entanglements of this world, which I do not need. Oh God, may the decline of my comfort incline my heart to desire your coming kingdom more. Amen.